Hello and welcome to The Unpastured Spouse, Life in a Stained Glass House, a podcast for clergy spouses and partners, old and new, male and female, at any stage in clergy life, from seminary to called ministry and beyond, and anyone interested in this experience in ministry. Each week we will discuss a topic related to living life in today's Lutheran church and all that goes into the clergy spouse life. We have four hosts, myself, Andrea. Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm Josh. Hey, I'm Julia. And today we have a special episode dedicated to Josh because he's married. (laughs) (laughs) This is our wedding present to Josh because he's so amazing and let's face it, we're giving him a leg up here. (laughs) This is a true gift. (laughs) Here are the gift. So, um, so our, the whole deal with today's episode is we're going to be talking about things we wish we knew before we got into them in this crazy clergy spouse life. I think we're thinking about candidacy, seminary, call process, moving, first call, all that stuff, whatever we can think of. <laughs> <laughs> some of us have prepared, some of us haven't, and that's okay because this can be fun. All right. <laughs> Well, I will say one thing I wish I knew um, was that the whole thing, all it seems like everything related to this takes so much longer than you would think it was, whether it be seminary or the call process or whatever. It seems like things just take longer. There's much more process than I had ever realized. So what about, um, how about we throw out with how did um, everyone's, everyone had different experiences, whether they were with or without their spouse um, before the seminary process or during the seminary process. So who wants to start talking about the process even to get to seminary and how that works and how long that took? Hmm. I got um, an email, I think it must have been, sitting in, I believe, Hong Kong maybe? And I'm reading this email and it's asking me to be in Indiana for a psych eval, which is part of the candidacy process, um, like next week, (laughs) you know? And I was like, uh, yeah, next week I think I might be in Malaysia. (laughs) Like what I sure as heck was not going to be in Indiana. So yeah, I think that is one thing. I know things have definitely changed and since we've all, um, had spouses or ourselves for me gone through seminary um a little bit anyway um and i'm speaking also from that deacon point of view because we're all deacons now and it was four different rosters uh originally so i cannot tell you what the specifics are of those changes though yeah i think it it was interesting because you know when my when my husband said oh i want to go to seminary i was like okay and I've been through lots of um, schooling, and I thought, okay, go to seminary. Um, apparently, that's not really what needs to happen because there's all the whole process of psyche valves and interviews and going through the synod and all of that. And so, I guess what I wish I would have known too was that it isn't as simple as going to school. There's a whole bunch of other stuff and a whole bunch of blockades that can come up, up across the way. I know that uh, my husband had friends that went started seminary and never finished because of things not their own of their not their own choosing um so that was a surprise too for me i wish i had known that you can have your best guess and want to be a pastor um and then you don't end up there so um i don't know that's another thing i wish i had 
thought or known before because then you can provide support to people in a different way. Yeah, to have a plan B, maybe even C, and maybe even a D. But uh, so I guess, so is, unless, does anyone have anything else from seminary that they wish they knew? How supportive you have to be for other people, whether it's your spouse or someone else, because the process can be so stressful and even abusive, depending on your candidate's committee, um, depending on the people who are in power in your synod. So just having, knowing that someone has your back is important, um, especially when you get ridiculous requests. Like, oh man, when I was in candidacy, like they wanted to, they wanted like, they wanted to get notes from my doctors. They wanted to talk to my therapist, you know, just really invasive stuff that was totally inappropriate. You know? wow. <laughs> so, so just to let you guys know who are listening, that happens, you know, some candidacy committees are just very, they're not very good at what they do. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to say it. What are they going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, I, I know that we had a, not, not a similar experience, but another candidacy committee. I didn't realize that um, when my husband was in candidacy, he was doing just uh, the DL program. So he was taking classes, um, you know, in a far away other side of the country um, from where we lived. And his candidacy committee wanted him to, take a year and go to seminary and cause they thought it was important for him to be on site. Mm -hmm. And he had to tell them no, because I was the only breadwinner and that would either mean he would have to move away from his wife and two children for a year or, um, you know, I would have to move and then we would be destitute. So <laughs> it was, it was interesting too. I think that as much as I'm sure they're trying to, to make sure they're getting the right people and setting them up the right way, um, I think sometimes reality also is an interesting thing. Luckily, my husband was strong enough to say no and had support within uh, the committee that said, no, you don't have to do that. But there was, that was actually a discussion. And I found it interesting. They were going to be able to change everything for him and make him, you know, if he wanted to continue, he'd have to be on site and move his entire family. So, yeah, the control of the candidacy committee, I think, was something I wish I knew, too. Yeah, because you don't think that, some total strangers that you don't know can have that much pull over your life, but they try. <laughs> it's, the, it's that whole idea of being the church and being mission oriented and how it's actually then lived out for the sake of the church's leaders doesn't always come together cohesively. Hmm. Yeah. And then when people are telling you to trust the process and the process is beating you to a pulp, it's like, well, <laughs> hmm. so am I in an abusive relationship with the process? What does this mean? Right. You know? So my husband luckily had a great experience with his candidacy committee, but he says even, he even says that's because he knew his candidacy committee. Like his pastor was on his candidacy committee. So it's like, I don't know. It just depends on who you are and where you're from. I think that support, Andrea, that you mentioned too, um, just all around is a need that you need to be able to support your spouse, but you also then need that support. And I heard and saw classmates, spouses asking for that while we were in seminary. Mm -hmm. It was very hard, um, very isolating, I think, yeah, for yeah. them. Um, and this was being uh, students on site mm -hmm. um, because they did um, move their lives across a state line, most likely, if not a few. Mm -hmm. and 
to where they maybe didn't have instant community in the way that they had experienced in other times of life, or they themselves weren't taking the classes, so they weren't meeting people, and they may have been struggling to find work outside as well. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, that whole lack of community, because even from being part of the distance learning program, that was one thing I tried to create. Um, I tried to create a Facebook group of, of spouses, but then I saw a lot of people didn't do Facebook, or they didn't want to, you know, they weren't interested or didn't think they needed it. But, um, you know, w looking back, I wish I would have pushed for further into that, because I really think that... Um, you know, that especially, you know, if, if that's experienced on site at seminary with the amount of and percentage of a lot of the programs going to a, a DL program, that seems like that that community of spouses when they're going through it uh, would be needed. So maybe we can help with that. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> why not? You know, that's why you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, anyone have anything else to say about that whole seminary candidacy getting to where we are kind of process? I think just remembering, um, I mean, if you're feeling beat up by the process, it might be a sign. I think it's an important place to be able to communicate those feelings for sure within your relationship with your spouse. And then I don't know, finding the right questions to ask to have a different or better understanding maybe as you grow together in the process and know that that candidacy time and that seminary time is really a blip mm -hmm. in the big scheme of things. So how does it pan out afterwards? Yeah. And I think it's, I think finding a support might be a theme that, could come out of this uh, episode for, you know, just from my thought process is definitely you have to, to reach out and ask, I think, to connect at times and, and get support, whether that be from a community that you have or a community that you build. But speaking about communities, that's what the whole call process is, right? Finding a new community? Apparently. <laughs> Supposedly. Sometimes. Yeah. Time and time again. <laughs> So let's talk about first call, um, which I'm the only one closest to that, but you guys might have memories um, <laughs> or nightmares, depending or on your Blocking process. out those memories. <laughs> you know, or you might have not remembered those years of your life. Um, I know for the call process, again, that was something that, um, you know, we went through and did two interviews um, as part of... Um, our first call process, but you know, it was funny when we got assigned, we, I wish they had a whole, like, I don't know, tutorial on that paperwork and how does assignment work and, you know, for the spouse's perspective, maybe not as much from, for the Calder leader's perspective, but you know, I know we ended up doing a lot of research and reading blogs that people had posted about the process and what happened. Cause it's like this mystery of, you know, do they sit around? Is it like a draft? Is it really like a draft? Do they call people's names out? Is there a chalkboard? Is it like fantasy football? <laughs> what I've heard is it's, a, it's like called a meat market. Because I guess they'll have a picture mm -hmm. of the candidate on a screen 
and someone will basically be talking about this person and I don't know that's all I know that's all I can remember so yeah it's kind of like a meat market draft type deal if I'm wrong feel free to let me know listeners if you're listening (laughs) you know if we have any but yeah so but but I only knew that because we were on site on a seminary you know well and I know it was funny because you those of you who haven't gone through this yet or those of you who went through it remember the five million page uh, document that your spouse filled out or you and your spouse filled out depending on, you know, where did you want to go? What, where was your call and everything else? Um, and I, what I thought, hmm? That happened six years ago, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this time of year, exactly. That's what we were doing. Yeah. And what I just found interesting is we spent days on it, you know, thinking and praying and all that stuff. And then, um, we, and we were open to where we wanted to be assigned and we were more, uh, focused on, and pay, when we were able to fill out, fill out the paperwork, uh, we were able to direct the type of community that we were interested in more than the geographic location. Um, that was an option. So it was very interesting that we looked for a suburban or urban, um, being our focus and certain town size, that type of thing. And when we got, um, assigned to our synod at the time, uh, there was none of that there. And so I, 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 you know, it was a shock to me of you spent a lot of time filling up paperwork and then you wonder that meat market where they're like, well, this is what they wanted, but this is really where we have an opening. So who cares what they said? Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) No, we got what we wanted in terms of region and all that stuff. So I can't really complain. But, but I did hear that some people weren't so happy. So, you know, it depends. Yeah. Sometimes uh, being in ministry, we have to accept, especially in first calls, that we have to go where we're needed, not where we want necessarily. Yeah. And um, it's, it's not, a, no, it's not always easy, but you can acknowledge too that it's not always forever. Yeah. I know that can be daunting, but literally, um, I hope this isn't horrible to hear for people, but we just surpassed living in one spot longer, like today in the last week, we have officially lived here longer than we have lived anywhere else since getting married in eight, not by eight and a half years, because (laughs) we got married in between um second and senior year of seminary so i yeah i think that brings up an interesting question and this is one of those things that i know my husband and i debate is that um how you how what your perspective is on that i know that for us being old ish um you know being second career people for us while we're totally open to the Holy Spirit and the process and all of that stuff, we, I think people were surprised that my husband said, um, you have no calls that I'm interested in that are interesting to me. Um, and that would fit with my family. I mean, there were some places they wanted to put us that were nowhere near a hospital or any possibility of me having work. So sometimes, well, I agree, you have to you kind of do where you're, you're, you're wanted or needed necessarily than your own wants. I think sometimes you have to also stand up for yourself and kind of say, well, 
you're setting me up for me and my family up for failure. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the passivity, it's a balance, you know, it is of, definitely a balance because you don't yeah. want to be miserable. Right. Right. And I think people need to know that too, that, you know, you have some control on your life. You know, you don't have to accept a call. There's tons of them out there. You know, if it isn't a fit for you and you don't feel like you should be there, I think, you know, it's, you, you have to fight for yourself in a positive way and be open. And to that's where you do, you do need to trust the process right there because you have to rely heavily on that discernment and prayer and the Holy Spirit's movement within it. Exactly. And I think sometimes it's the Holy Spirit telling you time not right. Right. Time <laughs> will fill, you know, you could sit there and twiddle your thumbs and that you're never going to find the no. most shiny spot for every aspect of your life. Definitely not. And I mean, I will say that with all that being said, I would have never pictured that we would be where we were, where we are. Um, that probably would have never been on my list. I'm glad we were open to the process, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you never, for us and for some of our friends ended up in places that we totally would have never, ever predicted. So I wish I knew that too, hmm. you know, that you could end up, you think you know where you're going to go or think you know how things are going to end up and you don't end up with exactly what you wanted, but it turns out to be pretty darn cool. Yeah. It's like that. What is that? The Rolling Stones song or whatever. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes you get what you need. You know? <laughs> Perfect. Analogy. Or if you trust the process. you. <laughs> but, and that actually led in something I wanted to say too about this is that be as open as you can because my husband's first call looked amazing on paper and it turned out to be not the best fit. His second call, like we had to really talk about it because I could read between the lines and be like, this is why it's so wonderful. And this is why we should go for it. But at first he wasn't so sure. And it's been amazing. <laughs> it's been the best call for us, both of us, not just him. So you never know, you know, you just, you just don't know. I think that's a point. One thing I thought of, I've heard some pretty uh, wild stories of um, when a pastor goes in for their interview and that the call committee, um, there are different expectations around their spouse being in that interview with them. Hmm. That is your first opportunity to set those boundaries. And that is so important to know that that is your spouse's job not yours and if hmm. they want you you are worthwhile they can hire you separately amen hmm. respect yourself and your gifts that you bring to the table whether you're you consider yourself in ministry or not mm -hmm. and um it's okay maybe to be in an interview for a short time but the larger picture definitely needs to be about the person that they're calling as their minister. Exactly. And sometimes they, I, I think sometimes it's seen as a hospitable thing too. Um, and that's nice, but they need, they need to be given permission. Then Correct. I think say, no, it, it's okay. I've got my book or my phone. I'll be okay out here in the hallway for the next hour or whatever. <laughs> And it's okay to do that. It's okay to say, I'm not comfortable with this. 
And sometimes that's actually a sign to run. Like my mom, um, I, from my, one of my dad's interviews, they wanted not only for her to be there, but she had to sit in a certain chair. I kid you not. Um, <laughs> they said, well, you want to sit, you need to sit in that chair. You know, because we interviewed this one candidate and his wife sat in a different chair. And that's one of the reasons why we didn't pick him. I kid you not. The chair was somehow important. It sounds crazy, but it happened. <laughs> and, wow. and my mom vetoed that call so hard. <laughs> my mom, yeah, because my dad actually liked the call, but she's like, hey, they were trying to control me. They were trying to make me sit in this chair in this interview where I didn't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. No, we're done. So just so other spouses out there know, it's okay to put down the holy hammer. <laughs> so that ish. Well, and I think that's one thing to bring up too, as you know, to take a step back is it, this is such a unique career path mm-hmm. and that who else has, you know, does their spouse travel with them for an interview and have true expectations that they're going to be maybe not interviewed, but involved in that process. Cause obviously if you're flying across the country, you want your spouse to be with you or, you know, for, uh, for my perspective, I want to be there because I want to see a little bit and learn. And so I have the ability to put the holy hammer down if I need to, right? Because I'm going to see different things. But if you think about it, what other place has a spouse actually involved and ask questions like, you know, do you play piano? Which I was not asked mm-hmm. ever. But, um, you know, but that, that's, the, that's the big joke of, oh, do you play piano? And will you be leading our, our choir? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's interesting that, it's it's a career where your spouse um, or you as a spouse are somehow part of the interview process, even if it's just going out to dinner or or whatever else with it, which is just really kind of unique. It really is. I know um, a colleague who um, he'd been actually in, um, oh, like he'd taken a new call several years before we were at our first call site, but um, you know, we we would hear occasionally oh, we don't think the spouse was happy because of this or because of that. And that's not why it didn't work out there. Like all the blame was being put on the spouse um, Hmm. at times. That's not even just in that. I think I'm mixing multiple memories from just different stories together. But um, being able to differentiate yourself, I think that is something that – that's just uh, a challenge for all of us in life, right? In every relationship we're ever in. But then especially in this um, pastor spouse role, um, it comes back to that respecting yourself and being okay with putting your foot down when you need to put your foot down and say, I'm uncomfortable and whatnot, but differentiating to know what is, what is your role? Because I think the other thing is we are, as the spouse, typically we are going to be a congregation member. Mm. And Mm. as one uh, friend who's a pastor's spouse said um, to the most recent call that her husband is in, said, I have been an active member at every church I have been at. And I will be an active member here with my family. But she said, that's my role. And mm-hmm. so know, know the role that you want. Yeah. And be able to vocalize it. Practice vocalizing it. Even. <laughs> and to yourself in the mirror or to a friend. 
Yeah, and I just want to piggyback off that and say that one of the things I really want to stress too during this podcast is something I wish I knew is that access to the clergy family, access to the pastor, spouse, and family is a privilege, not a right, because you are a member just like everyone else, and your time is sacred, and your your sense of self is sacred too. So that differentiation is so important, and it's something I wish I knew. You know, and mm-hmm. especially in Micah's first call, one of the things that when things started to go south, it was really turning into me and Micah's kind of call, you know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like I was the assistant minister a lot. And if I wasn't there, Micah was like, well, who else is going to do it? And it's like, you know, <laughs> so any of that another member sense. of the church. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah. another member. You're not, you're not paid help. You're not, you're definitely not unpaid help. You're just, you're just there. You were there to worship. You're there to, to be, and that's sacred. And, no one should take that away from you. Yeah. And I think that's the other piece of advice is to be yourself. You know, it it took me, it's taken me probably two years to truly feel comfortable to, you know, there are some things I want to volunteer for and there are certain events that I don't want to go to. Um, Nothing against the event, but you don't have to be at every single possible thing um, that the church is putting on, especially with bigger churches. And if your spouse says, Hey, I don't want to go to this tonight. I haven't had a day's break and you know, I haven't had a night off in two weeks. I don't want to go to such and such event. Sometimes it's a key to us to kind of go, yep. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they're not running it, sometimes it's okay, you know, to say, and to set those limits of, you know, we are not the guaranteed attendees at everything. We are not going to be the cleanup crew at everything. Um, and, and kind of to, to be able to say, you know, do what, do what brings you joy, um, and what needs to be done, but you don't, you aren't responsible for everything. I know for us, um, because my spouse isn't serving two different congregations and it's not considered two point. It's one is a contract call and one is, um, your typical like three quarters time ish call part time as well, technically in the lingo, but, um, our, we protect one day a week. That doesn't mean always that he doesn't have a text come through or his phone doesn't ring because occasionally it does. Um, that is completely up to him, the boundaries that he keeps then when that happens and um, whatnot. But that we have that one day every week that is our family day, whether we choose to do house projects or go out and do something. That is our family day. Mm-hmm. And um, I even um, reserve it to not do my schoolwork a lot of the time. It, it's treated as our Saturday since he works on Saturdays. That's really cool. Now we do that with Fridays is, uh, you know, with some exceptions for funerals or things that come up that you can't really move or change. Um, for Fridays, those are our date days because he works on Saturday and, and as well. So um, that's his day off. And it's nice for us with having kids to have some time that's the two of us uh, without the children that we love oh so very much, but to have time together. So what else? So we've talked about first call. We've talked a lot about actually about congregational ministry stuff. Are there other things from changing calls? I can't speak to this one because I've never been there. But things you wish you knew about leaving a call or finding a new call. 
I think the way the Holy Spirit really is obviously working is when you're leaving an unhealthy call for you and your family and yet there's still that one person that reaches out saying how much they're going to miss you or they're not going to be there your last weekend or whatever and that's just the holy spirit saying everything's going to be okay i've got this and trust trust that it's not ours um to to continue you know we're not god um believing whether because it's just time to move on or leaving because it's past time to move on um, isn't ever easy. So I guess then the thing that you kind of have to figure out for you and yours is how much time you need in the in-between. Mm -hmm. And, um, how much money you maybe have stored up to live in that in-between too. Um, I've heard people taking an entire summer off in between calls or um, an entire season, if you will, and it's not always summer. Um, and then um, at a minimum, most people I think try to take a month, especially if it requires a big move. Mm. Um, but that time is important. Even if you're, you're in a good space, when you're leaving that time is really important for you and your family Especially and I would to heal because if you don't take that time it's going to catch up with you sooner or later and it can end up hurting you and other people around you it's just important to take care of yourself I think that speaks also to that negotiation thing right that I, that I was saying that I think sometimes um, in ministry from the church side that people believe church members believe oh well they're you know this is their giving they're giving to the pastors this is their call so this should be their their one and only they should be driven to want to immediately move and be at our you know be everything for us and so i think sometimes there's that sense of need to negotiate to to set those limits to say okay this is when we can move um <laughs> you know this is when i will be starting um unless there's something contractual or otherwise i think in that process too it's important to say you know, we're moving across the entire country. It's going to take us X amount of time and trying to advocate too um, that this is what we need so that we can be, you know, there, or the pastor himself or herself saying, this is what I need to be a good um, employee and clergy for you is this. And I think it's setting that uh, communication too helps. Giving you a chance to find a new rhythm, um, even if you're just at the start of finding that new rhythm, is a really healthy place to be in, in those transitions. Um, I, I have family members who recently transitioned out of military life, and they shared one of the biggest transitions is um, when you are a civilian and you move, you have to figure out where everything is, all your services, your grocery, your doctors, everything. <laughs> when you're in the military, it's all on the base. Even if you don't live on the base, it's all on the base. Hmm. So um, I say that because I know there's sometimes comparison to being in ministry as there is to being in the military. <laughs> and um, I think that's normalizing to realize we don't live on bases, even when you live in a parsonage. 
Um, I, I had to go 25 minutes down the road and around the corner to get to the grocery today um, because I live in an incredibly rural area. <laughs> but um, yeah, grant yourself that grace and that, that breathing space with those transitions. So are there any other general things? I can think of one thing from my perspective, just general things I wish I knew. Um, and we talked on it, touched on it uh, toward the beginning was um, the solitude or um, how lonely sometimes being a clergy spouse can be. Um, when you are moving across, you know, the neighborhood or across the country. Um, making connections can be hard because you do wonder about making connections within church, uh, trying to find friends or people that you can trust. And sometimes you can do that within a church. Sometimes it's not healthy. Um, and there's a lot for me, I'll speak from my perspective. There are a lot of nights that I'm home alone with the kids because of meetings um, or other obligations. And um, having moved here, even though it's been you know over two years, there are many times I, we don't have anyone that we really know other than church members that live nearby. So um, the clergy spouse life can be isolating. And I think that's one thing I wish I'd known is to try to take a more proactive approach at trying to connect. Um, because if not, you are left alone a lot. So that's just from my perspective. I don't know what you guys think. I think that's very true and that that also for me ties into knowing your role, your desired role and being able to voice that and the the power of being able to voice that can be so key. So that in in the way that say this is this is pastor's wife Julia versus this is Julia the pastor's wife. There's power in saying me as an individual prior to my label as a pastor spouse. So it acknowledges at least that I am my own. And that's important for me, especially being in ministry. Hmm. But that loneliness... Um, Yeah, I think I would, I just urge people to know their, their own little niches of um, social desires and safe ways to build them, those social networks, because they're there. They just take time. And I think it depends if you're working outside the home or not. Um, you know, that's for friends of mine who work outside the home, um, you know, me working remote, this doesn't work. But if you that's an easy way to connect is to either volunteer or if you're working, you know, you develop work friends and things like that who aren't necessarily connected to the church. Um, but yeah, if you're not, if you're working remotely or, or whatever else, finding those other ways, like you're saying, Julia, of, of connecting and finding, you know, the niches of people that are your people. And I have a friend who's a pastor's wife who actually had a really cool way of doing this when she moved. So she went on Facebook and she would look up all these events and stuff in her area, like all these shops or whatever. 
and she'd like everything. And then her feed would show her stuff that she might want to try. So she got into like this whole birding club thing, you know, <laughs> you know, and now she's like flying a plane and it's, it's really cool. Just all the stuff that you kind of find when you're not expecting it just because, you know, you took a risk and you liked something. So I think that's part of getting out of the isolation is realizing that you can't always wait for your spouse to be home. Sometimes you just have to get out there and do it. Be brave, you know, take a risk. Right. Well, and no matter where you live, I know um, this is um, part of like Rachel Hollis's book, um, whatever the first one was, Girl, Wash Your Face, oh. I think. Um, but I know this is one of my like, oh yeah, takeaways and it just has stuck with me since I listened to that book on tape just over a year ago where no matter where you land, um, at whatever point your stuff is still your stuff. And so you might open your curtains every morning. Um, and then you move and you open your curtains again. And your views may be different, but your stuff is still your stuff. And so we have to deal with our own selves and figure out ways to um, feed ourselves socially, spiritually, physically, educationally, vocationally, etc. Because our stuff will still be our stuff, no matter what the view is outside our window. Mm -hmm. So Josh, do you feel that we have fully informed you? Yeah. yeah. You oh yeah, I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a lot to contribute because I was enjoying the interplay, but yeah, definitely it made me think how unique it is to be in this position, um, but also how there is like overlap with, you know, I come from academia and saw a lot of you know co-professor partnerships you know come to the surface and and they would um they would run into the same issues like trusting the process and and you know having to travel for a call and, and things like that and also reflecting on you know what what my mother went through for all those all those years as well as thinking about um you know how how my partner got to to where she is in terms of the support that she had and being in a in a co pastoring relationship previously. Um, so yeah, it's given me a lot to to think about and reflect on. Yay! <laughs> I guess Good, we've, we've done and our expect deed. to the unexpected. <laughs> so, what's our biggest takeaways, even from what we've said? Like, or what's yours, Josh, from what we've said about what to what? I think knowing your agency and knowing your um, owning your yourself, I think as 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 if you are going to contribute to the church's life or the wherever you happen to be, uh, it's not going to be just rote, you know. And I think that that comes true if you are in called ministry yourself, or if you're just c contributing to it. Um, that you 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 know your own gifts and you've taken the time to 
discern them along the way and you're not just going to fall into this rote pattern that like like the chair like like <laughs> um just because somebody else sat in that chair or that's that chair that happens to be what we think of as where the pastor's spouse should sit that's not necessarily what's going to to suit you so i yeah. uh, i guess somebody said to my husband not not horribly long ago of she's not your typical pastor's wife, is she? <laughs> and I so badly want to know, what is your typical pastor's wife? Right. Who is you? Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us here, and I even just connected with another pastor's spouse in the last week who I like was kind of just re-meeting for the first time, but they're in retirement age, and she said, Oh yes, we are all very different. And how do you <laughs> We're all human. Surprise! We have different vocations and different likes and dislikes. Fake news. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> different personalities. No. So yeah, the biggest take all play the piano. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The biggest all take home is uh you be you. Yeah. You be you. You be you. Well, should I close this in prayer? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we go on our journeys of trying to understand this role. <laughs> and grant us grace and that we may offer grace to others who really don't understand our variety of places we come from and gifts that we bring. May we be a support to one another. May we know we are supported and know the boundaries that need to be put in place. And may we know ourselves, love ourselves, grow together as you would have us grow in understanding to the best of our ability, supporting one another and being your church in the ways that you have gifted us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.